Welcome to Highland Objects, podcasts that take you on a cultural tour of the Highlands and Islands of Scotland. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Highland Objects or visit the website highlandobjects.wordpress.com. Bonus podcast number four, Highland Objects Christmas Special. Merry Christmas, everyone. Nola Creel, a Hiladinje. Hello, my name's Freya, and I'm the digital curator at the Highlanders Museum. Today I'm going to be talking to you about a very special letter in our archival collection from the Christmas Truce of 1914. You very well may have heard of the Christmas Truce of 1914, as this unprecedented event saw a ceasefire on Christmas Day throughout the trenches of the Western Front. This letter was written by Private James Davy of the Seaforth Highlanders to his wife Christine, who he refers to in the letter as Kiss. I'm going to read out the letter to give you a taste of just how the Seaforth Highlanders experienced the famous Christmas truce. The letter starts, My darling Kiss, we are down for our rest again, and I have just received your welcome parcel and three letters and papers. You will scarcely believe it, but nevertheless it is true, and we had an extraordinary Christmas on Christmas Eve. The Germans, who hold Christmas in great style, started giving us songs and shouting little bits in English, and of course we retaliated. And on Christmas Day, the most funny thing happened. We noticed a white flag going up, and then one German getting up in the trench and advancing towards us. And of course, we began to do likewise, as did more of the Germans. And we began to exchange Christmas greetings and jokes and all sorts. They were giving us cigarettes and drinks, and showing us photos of their wives and sweethearts, and telling us they were fed up with this war, and wanting us to post letters for them, as they were seemingly not allowed to write. They were saying that the Germans were in Warsaw, and the Russians were finished, but of course we all listened and said nothing before we parted for our trenches again. We had all agreed that we would not shoot at each other that day, and we kept our word. There wasn't a shot fired that day, but the next day our artillery opened, as did theirs, and so brought to a close the most unheard in any proceedings, I believe, in the annals of history. I couldn't say if this occurred all along the line, but I don't think it would, so you will see we had not a bad Christmas at all. But the funny thing is, we are carrying on the same as usual, looking for each other's blood again. Well, dearie, it wasn't so bad as it had been in the trenches this time. It was a proper Christmas time, frost and snow, and the ground as hard as nails. But of course it will be just the same as usual once the thaw sets in. You were asking me if the stockings would do to cover my knees, or if we would be allowed to wear them. I don't know whether we are allowed or not, but we use anything to keep ourselves warm and have some drawers and other long stockings and all of us boots and putties. I assure you, we don't look like the peaceful Highlanders you see at home. The stockings you sent are just the sort I wanted and I can pull them up at night to keep the cold out. Private Grant and my other pal are still well. Grant's brother, who was wounded over a month ago, has joined us again and we make a lively school. Well, kiss, here they are shouting for the letters, so must close. Your loving husband, Jim. P.S. Love to all. We'll write tomorrow. This very personal account tells us exactly what happened 
on the Christmas truce of 1914 and provides an insight of one of the Seaforth Highlanders into this unprecedented event. I hope you've enjoyed hearing about this letter. I'm Andrew Grant McKenzie and I'm Highland Historian. I've been asked to talk just for a few minutes about Christmas traditions in Scotland and particularly in the Highlands. But I've got bad news. Um, we don't really have that many and that's partly because of the banning of Christmas um, officially in Scotland from the 1600s all the way to 1953 when it was eventually made a public holiday. But as we'll all know, um, we're great uh, believers in not listening to to bannings and rules (laughs) in Scotland. So thankfully, there are some Christmas traditions. Um, Some from within that period of the the official ban, including in 1786, a record of a festive feast fair, which includes a recipe for mince pies, which is a pound of raisins, a pound of currants, a pound of suet, a pound of apples, quarter of a pound of brown sugar, half an ounce of lemon peel, a little cinnamon cinnamon or mace, and a gill of brandy. Um, That sounds like a good mince pie to me. So that was recorded in the School School of Scottish Studies, and that's actually from Hopeton House in the south of Scotland. But a lot of our traditions in the north actually predominantly come from territories that were settled in by Norse people, or particularly the Vikings. Um, What we don't have is a lot of Christmas traditions from the Christian or Gallic areas of the Highlands. This is partly because the Christmas tradition or the Christmas feast was not as big as as other winter festivals. Particularly, I'm thinking of Savin or Oichesauen, the Halloween feast, and also Hogmanay, which is the major thing, particularly in Presbyterian or Protestant areas of the Highlands of Scotland. And that's something that my, my grandfather knew growing up. He would certainly celebrate um, Hogmanay more than Christmas in his younger days. So it's it's an interesting thing indeed. But in the uh, the more Viking areas, you've got lots of traditions like in, in Yell, you had the ball games of the 24th night, so Christmas Eve. So the, there would be huge ball games and then all of the balls would be thrown into the sea before a huge feast would take place. So everyone would play football particularly and then they would chuck the ball into the sea and get rid of it. And that's because on the Christmas morning or the Yule morning, they would get another ball. And if you didn't do this, then you, you would get bad luck for the next year effectively. So if you like football, go and throw your ball into the sea. Um, on No, no, don't do that. Don't do that. But that's, that's certainly a tradition that was recorded well into living memory as well. There's also uh, lots of traditions with fishing, including um, another tradition from the Shetland Islands that was actually upheld across the Highlands as well in fishing communities. And that's that fishermen wouldn't go to sea on the fourth day after Christmas. And this is become because in the island where it came from, um, in Shetland, there was a, a house that was believed to be um, haunted or spooked. And a brave fisherman went to stay in there on Christmas Eve into the Yule and he went in with a candle and a Bible. And when a beast came to the door, it was believed to be a demon from the sea. He didn't recognise the demon, so it's not a recognisable figure. There was no features that could be seen. But as it ran from the door, the man picked up the axe that was in the house for the wood and he threw it and hit the beast in the back and then he covered it in seaweed. 
but it's believed that on the fourth day after Christmas, it managed to venture back into the sea. And on every fourth day, it would appear to, to the fishermen so they wouldn't go out to the sea. But if you ask a fisherman what it looks like, they'll never recognise it apart from by the axe that was in its back. Another tradition is about always having meat at Christmas time, again from the Nordic traditions, but this one was widespread across the Highlands and particularly across the Hebrides as well. There's a story that goes that uh, a man was without meat coming up to, to Christmas time and he didn't want his family to go without. And so he left his home village and went to the next village with a very intelligent horse. And this sounds like a good story already. And he put the intelligent horse in the byre with all of the, the cows, including a particularly fatted cow. And he went into the house and then in the middle of the night, he snuck out without anyone noticing him. And he tied his very intelligent horse to the fatted cow and opened the gate to allow it to walk out. And then he went back to bed. In the morning, he was woken up by the people of the house screaming about how their fatted cow had been stolen on the morning of Christmas. And he went outside and he said, oh, no, that's dreadful. What a terrible thing to happen. I hope my very intelligent horse is not being stolen as well. And they said, I'm really sorry to say that your intelligent horse is not here. And so he started to cry and he started to look incredibly sad. And the people felt so sorry for him that they collected money and gave it to him to go home to his family. And so he left looking as sad as he possibly could, but laughing inside. And when he got home, the very intelligent horse had indeed made its way home to his house and the fatted calf had been taken with it and his sons had managed to kill the cow and there was the meat for the Christmas time. So he'd got the meat, he'd got away with the crime and he'd also taken the neighbouring village's money. I don't know what the moral is of that, but I don't think we should go trying to redo that story. Uh, that wouldn't be a very good idea at Christmas time. Another tradition is that the lads of the area would bring a cockerel into the house on Christmas Eve so that in the early morning they would be crowed awake. And when they got up, um, they would go uh, to dish out sounds and butter to everyone in the house and then go off to their neighbours' houses to do the same. This is again from Shetland, but it was widespread across the Highlands, um, particularly in, in those Nordic areas as well. Everyone had to have something um, new for y'all, mainly a garment, even if you could only get a pair of mittens or a pair of socks. So that's a tradition that is still within the Christmas traditions today. And the, the storyteller says that his father also insisted on the observation that no work should be done on the old Yule or the Yule and that any new work should be started on New Year's Day even if it was only to make a start. So that's the origin of our New Year traditions, if you like. There is also a Christmas wish that is recorded uh, in 1967 by Mrs K. Dix of Bernara Harris and this is in the School of Scottish Studies as well and here it is printed in Tocher magazine. Mrs. Dix was in her 80s um, when she said this, this Christmas wish, and it goes, On this particular Christmas and every following day, may, may prosperity pour upon you, and not a failing under the sun be yours. May your step be without hitch or stumble, but your path straight and smooth, your hearth warm, your joy full, and may you be happy and healthy without want. So with that, I'll wish you a very Merry Christmas. Nola Creel. Ho, 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 everyone. I'm Neil Buchan, and I'm a member of Castletown Heritage Society. We operate Castle Hill Heritage Centre, 
a few miles due south of the most northerly point on the UK mainland. Our Christmas object for this year harks back to a time when our village of Castletown was the centre of a thriving industry, focused on the extraction, finishing and export of Caithness flagstone, or pavement as it was known. The mastermind behind this enterprise was the landowner, Sheriff Deputy James Trail, who used his political and commercial contacts to secure lucrative contracts for the supply of robust, hard-wearing flagstone from the Castle Hill pavement works that he established in the early 1800s. The flagstone was exported from the nearby purpose-built harbour at Castle Hill to destinations all round the UK and beyond, reaching as far, for example, as Valparaiso and Montevideo in South America and Bombay and Calcutta in India. Records note that the Australian cities of Melbourne and Sydney had their chief streets paved with Caithness flagstone from Castle Hill. Whilst Trail and his family certainly enjoyed the fruits of his business success, and indeed the village of Castletown became relatively prosperous, our Christmas object is a reminder that this time of year is not always merry for everyone. Our object is a much-loved model of a 19th-century schooner of the type that sailed regularly from Castle Hill Harbour loaded with flagstone. Cargoes were taken south to major ports from where they would be transshipped to locations elsewhere in the UK and beyond. On the return trip, the sailing ships would carry coal and other goods to Caithness from the northeast of England. On Christmas Day 1879, Elizabeth Mackay and her children were awaiting the arrival of her husband, Donald's schooner, the Castle Hill. It was his first trip as captain of the vessel, having only recently gained his master's ticket after serving for years as the ship's mate. The Castle Hill was crewed by a crew of five and was carrying 150 tonnes of coal from Russell's Colliery in Wall's End, North Tyneside, but was overdue. A few days later, Elizabeth received the devastating news that the Castle Hill had been struck by a violent storm sweeping down the east coast of the country. All hands aboard the Castle Hill went down with the ship, leaving her widowed with four children and facing a struggle to survive, as did the four other local families who also lost their menfolk. A tragic loss and a salutary reminder of the hazards faced by seafarers in the 1800s. The same storm brought down the Tay Rail Bridge, throwing a locomotive, tender, mail van and five carriages of passengers heading for Dundee into the water. There were similarly no survivors of that tragedy. Only 46 bodies were recovered out of 59 known victims. Have a merry, yet perhaps reflective, Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, everyone. Nolig Creel Ahuladinya. Highland Objects is brought to you by Expo North Heritage, which is supported by Museums and Heritage Highland, Museums Gallery Scotland, Creative Scotland, Highlands and Islands Enterprise, and Historic Environment Scotland.